0: Hello, and welcome to the Attribution Marketing Podcast, where we help businesses, brands, and entrepreneurs get more out of their advertising campaigns. On today's episode, we have Franz Riemersa, who is the number one MarTech influencer in the Netherlands and a thought leader all throughout Europe. He's passionate about marketing technology, and for decades, he's been designing technology stacks for companies like HP, Adidas, Audi, Unilever, Philips, IKEA, and everything in between. So, Franz, thank you so much for being on the show today. Tell us how you got here.
1: Thanks for having me. First of all, I'm um, really glad to join. Love the work that LeadsRX is doing. Following their work, collaborated with them, participated. So, uh, I'm a big fan of LeadsRX. A long, long time ago, so in 96, 97, I founded my first company, which was an art database, and we became number three in the world. So I was so frustrated with people developing the stuff that I started developing myself. And that really worked out well. So I've ever since been on the crossroads of marketing on the one hand and technology on the other hand and translating from one side to the other. And uh, now I'm advising the companies you just mentioned in selecting the right software uh, for their specific needs and making sure they fuel their business. And as
0: you pointed out in the intro, drive more revenue with their campaigns. So to me, that sounds a little bit like you're a personal concierge for software. Is that about right? Can you walk us through it and tell us how that works?
1: It starts normally with a question, Franz, can you tell me what is the best tool ever on the planet? And I go like, I have no clue. There are 8,000, 9,000 tools out there. With a bunch of students, I plowed my way through two and a half thousand just free trials, having a look demos. I cannot tell you. And the reason is very simple because every specific company has a specific situation, so we need to know two things. How do you make money today? And how do you want to make money in the next couple of years, two or three years? Your strategy, your plans. And we combine that together and that's how you can distill a requirement set an ROI if you want to and with that you go to the vendors and say okay can you fit the bill can you help us out here and with that you exactly know how you're going to drive value with your software
0: so tell me your thoughts on salesforce if you look at salesforce they're sort of like an all-in-one ecosystem and you can in air quotes get everything done with one tool is that sort of your recommendation or is it better for companies to find the best tool for each component or each stage
1: we're moving away from enterprise suites where we say it's one size fits all and all the customer data, all the data should be in one bucket. And that doesn't um, always work uh, because different departments have different workflows, different techniques, different dynamics. So they need different software. And that's not always covered by an enterprise suite or even the app cloud of Salesforce. So then you need to move out. yeah, think about um, attribution tools, for instance, like lead Direct. there was a time that those tools were completely new. So you have to integrate with something like that and then build your stack. So I'm a firm believer in ecosystems that really help out specific departments and teams within the company to drive their output and deliverables, and then see how it combines into a bigger picture. So the old fashioned thinking of all the data in one place, in one bucket. I think should really go out of the window and we should think about a data model of customers where we know, okay, this type of data, transactional data is in our CRM, whereas the touch point data is maybe in our marketing automation tool. The attribution data is in our attribution tool and we somehow with a unique identifier should stitch it together on the fly at the moment that we need to respond to a
0: specific request from a client. So if you could only have one piece of marketing software, which piece would that be?
1: Yeah, you asked me if that's my point of view, it's actually based on research that we're doing. So we are having uh, a database of 650, 51 MarTech stacks. Again, a stack is a set of tools that a specific marketing department uses. And the first piece of software that companies use is AdTech so advertising technology for that it's crm so first you have to make sure people know you're there on social media through advertising and then as soon as people start buying your stuff your products you need to make sure you can store that information so crm is the second tool people buy the third tool is for instance um, automation because after you're managing your your clients, the next thing you need to do is to manage your leads, leads that are not yet clients or have not been clients before. And and this is a bit of confusion I see often happen that leads are also managed in CRM, but those are only the the companies that you already sold to or the persons you already sold to. Uh, Marketing automation is more about uh, people you don't know yet, and you still have to manage their
0: their requirements, their needs in terms of uh, messaging. I think you brought up an interesting point on uh, one of your previous answers where you said on the fly, marketers can do a lot if they have a unique identifier across the marketing technology stack. You can unify journeys and then do personalization for the customer. But in the past, cookies have really dominated that technology landscape of identifying those customers and tracking them. There are some interesting challenges with cookies coming up from Google. Safari already made changes, and you have iOS 14 from Apple. What is the future in your vision for identifying those customers in a cookie list world? How is that going to work?
1: Well, frankly, I, I don't have the answer, but I'm aware of the changes that Safari did already, somehow and and Google will be doing soon. Yeah, it's a bigger problem. It's also touching ethics and how we deal with contact data, customer data. And it brings us to the point who is owning that data. And I think um, fundamentally it's the customer, the individual who should own their own data. They should be telling us as brands, this is what you're allowed to know. And this is not what you're allowed to know. And so basically we're shifting that power completely from the big tech companies and brands back to the customers and and i have not seen this happen yet i'm i'm only aware that the third party cookies will be um, a sunset but the, the the question is of course what will be next I can only think of one thing and that's blockchain, where basically we store anything and everything that is of value to us. And for sure, we start with currencies and and, and bitcoins first. Next thing will probably uh, be real estate, property, and rather that I expect something like your contact details and also more, just more than that, like your behavior online, you can decide you're allowed to see and you're not allowed to use that information or maybe not for a certain period. So that's what I think is is going to happen. But it's, there will be a kind of interbellum in in between those two phases. Like we're facing out third party cookies and we haven't entered yet
0: a, a full on blockchain adoption globally where people just can manage their own data, contact data. So, if it's the big tech companies and the advertising industry versus the consumers and the governments and the ethics, do you think that the government and regulation will ultimately win out or will big tech just find another way?
1: I think really where we're going is a decentralization of customer data ownership. And that's something only blockchain at the moment can
0: cater for. So here's another one on the cookie list world. If you're familiar with LiveRamp and some of these other acquisitions that companies like Comcast, Oracle, and Verizon have made, it's all about gobbling up other databases that contain other overlapping consumer information. Comcast is gonna know your household IP, Amazon Alexa is gonna know what you're talking about. And even if we don't have cookies from the web browser, or Apple won't share mobile data, we're still going to be able to know that Franz is Franz and Franz lives here because big tech and the ad industry has collected other various data sets that they can sync together with that unique identifier. So talk us through your opinion on what LiveRamp and other companies are doing with ID graphing and how it all works together.
1: How, what they are doing with ID graphing is just making sure they, they make a business by, by the fact that there's a lack of legislation or protection of customers. And you've probably seen Netflix uh, um, documentary of Social Dilemma where you completely see in these hearings that governments have no clue. They <laughs> don't know what's coming at them. And that's, I think, how ramp and it's not ramp taking advantage of it, that's not what I'm saying, but it's it's just the state we are in uh, right now as we proceed as marketers and become more successful. Because in essence, I think we as brands trust, sell as much as we can. And the best way to do that is worth of mouth. And that it, you are as trustworthy as the next best friend of a specific team you want to sell to. So the closer we get to uh, that profile of the next best friend, the more we will end up in ethical discussions. And the more we are able with all our AI and insights and, and data enriched by LifeRamp uh, type of companies, yeah, the more we'll end up in ethical discussions. We say this, can we do this as a brand? Are we close to mimicking your best friend? You will buy because you trust that reputation. Is that still okay to make money off? Because this next best friend is not making money off you, but still recommending a specific product. Where is this going? And I think, as we proceed and, and progress in the next ten years and get closer to a profile of your best friend as a brand, I think I think we'll have a lot more ethical discussions and lawsuits.
0: When you walk into Amazon, they rearrange the entire store and personalize it for you. And Amazon really does feel like a friend, especially when that box shows up at your doorstep with a smile on it. It's not a fake friend. It's not tricking you. It's walking the line between knowing everything there is to know about you, but also not using that information to your detriment they're using it to make Amazon better for you. So I feel like it is possible to do this correctly, but not every business is going to operate in that manner. So I don't know if you had any thoughts about how Amazon has made it work.
1: That's a great example. That's exactly that. Uh, You trust them because they really serve stuff that you want. What is really good about Amazon is that they uh, make you feel like uh, the best friend. They know what you want, they know what, and actually that is what people want. The only thing is, You need to somehow have control over that. With your best friend, you can say, I don't want to see you anymore. And that's it. And you can defriend them on anything, unlink them on LinkedIn. And and then it's that with Amazon and other companies, that's not so easy to be forgotten. Your data is still there. So you don't own it anymore. And and that's a completely different ballgame. I do think that's where
0: the, the, the pain is. Tell us about this MarTech manifesto. I see the blog post here, but talk us through how you came up with that and where folks can go to get it, what it all means.
1: As I told you, we do a lot of software selections and very often I get the question, Franz, what should, what goes first? What is the most important? And if you look at the buying room, so the people sitting in the room, are going to buy a piece of software, it's a kind of a strange situation because the manager is there holding the budget and being accountable means you focus only on the reporting section of the tool you're going to buy, which is only 5% of what the entire tool does. And the other 95% you're not interested in. I'm exaggerating, but I've seen that happen. And then the other 95% is covered by uh, the, the teams different teams and they struggle with it because they don't know really what is important so you know what we bring in it or we bring in the admin so we have all the wrong people in the room we don't have the internal client normally sales customer success and i'm talking about the client of marketing internally and um, marketers really are hands-on using the system on a regular basis i also hardly see in the buying room so it's admins, it's IT, it's the manager, and they ask me, so what should I look at? First of all, the admin features, I don't care. If the admin has two hours more work every month, so we save 10 uh, minutes for every mark and every salesperson, then that's a win. But that's something that they normally overlook and think, okay, admin uh, is, a, is an expert, that person should decide on what features we should get, but that person is focusing only on admin features. What is in the backend, the least interesting for the entire tool. So that's where I started coming up with these lists. Okay. Customer experience over front end users, front end users over user. back end users over admin users. And that's how this whole MarTech manifesto came about. And we thought it's not only for developing your own stack, so purchasing software and selecting it. But it's also for developing software, because the shorter turnaround time you have from purchasing a piece of software and making it work for you, so you can address the client, the sooner you make money. So this speed to value, as we call it, should be as short as possible.
0: I love that. I've talked to people all the time, and they say, should we use, say, MailChimp or Klaviyo? And It depends on who's asking the question, because if it's the CFO and he likes one report that he saw in the demo, you might end up buying the wrong email marketing tool because the CFO likes a report, which is pretty silly. When you shift over to performance, how do you help folks measure the performance across that entire marketing technology universe?
1: There are two sides of performance, I would say. So it's the return side and the investment side. And for me, what I normally see is that we focus a lot on the returns, not always the investment. And this is something where marketing ops comes into play, marketing ops, marketing operations, as being the function within marketing, not only to administer everything that's going on, but also to optimize what's going on. And that's typically the person that the function job and that should be clear about bringing the two sides together the R and the I, the return on investment. And the return can be expressed in many ways. Initially, you are starting with ad tech, right? Then you do CRM, then you do automation, you have some social, you have some landing page tooling, etc. And those are all silos and with the the tooling for instance attribution tooling ipas dashboarding basically what we call the blue martech which is the software that you see in the six columns of the super graphic of martech with all the 8,000 logos in there there's one column which is blue and that one contains all the different categories and variations to integrate all the data and customer data from those silos and make sure that you get a customer view and that's, you're talking about performance, also revenue, but first step is make sure we get an idea of the customer data and it's all over the place. And one of the first exercises I do with customers is have a look at what you know already today and nine out of 10 times, they didn't do that because it's across the different departments across the company. And for some reason, doors are locked or people are reluctant to walk over which will never give you a clear view on what do we know and what don't we know. And then we start a project to API everything together. And then after two years, we've succeeded. We look at the dashboard and we go, that's a nice funnel. What does it say? What is the customer doing actually? So what you should really do is, is make sure in that column, so to speak of. Uh, data collecting and aggregating software, like attribution tooling, uh, you should have a look at, okay, what is the client really telling us and how then can we make money out of that? And that's all what you should do within return side of the ROI. On the investment side, you should keep, keep track of what our resources doing. Do we have the right talents in place? Do we have the right software in place? What are agencies doing? Are campaigns running with specific uh, agencies outperforming other ones and, and then you get a really good idea of what do we invest and what do we get out of it and that's what i would say is a good measure for a performance you can do this on a small scale already I, I would strongly recommend to start small rather than saying okay first we integrate everything and then we can measure that will never happen because people change market changes and new uh, technologies come up and then you're too late so what can you do today or in the next month but that's it
0: So for any of our enterprise level folks out there listening to this, where can they go to get in touch with you? How do they get that awesome super graphic that you make?
1: What they can do best is just go to my website, MartechTribe.com, or look me up on LinkedIn. You'll find me there
0: and send me a direct message and I will surely follow up. Thank you so much to Franz from MartechTribe.com for sharing his knowledge on marketing software and what companies today need to do in order to accurately measure all of their marketing data and performance and get as much value as possible from it. This is the Attribution Marketing Podcast, signing off.